Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 689, with Chris Schultz. We're going deep into the archive. You know, I, I think so many folks really are me, 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 right? Let, let, let's take credit for everything we've done. It's all about me. And, and um, for me, being in the restaurant business my almost my entire career, and certainly here at Mod, it's really amazing the things that can happen when a team comes together. You don't really worry about who's the superstar, who gets the trophy, right? I think it's, it's, it's really a positive, uh, motivational piece for all of our teams that, not only are our GMs important, but every single mod squad around our teams are just as important as a general manager or myself or even Scott and Allie Spence and our founders. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable. And when you run your first payroll, you'll get your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unstoppable. Margin Edge. It is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integration, improving financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. In other words, with Margin Edge, you can finally run your restaurant without the massive paperwork nightmare. That sounds amazing. And all you have to do is snap a photo of the invoice with your smartphone. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy up to 50% off your first year. Go to me.margineedge.com slash unstoppable. Ladies and gents, you've got to own your presence online because that's where your first impressions are made. Good thing there is Bento Box because Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their websites. To learn more about Bento Box and how it can empower you through your website, head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll save 50% off your setup fee. Again, that's getbento.com slash unstoppable. Yo, what's going on, Unstoppable? So before I set you up for what's going on in today's episode, uh, I need to say thank you. Thank you so much because with your support, Restaurant Unstoppable has won the Industry Podcast of the Year Award from Nightclub and Bar. And I just cannot say thank you enough because really... So many of you just subscribing, listening, emailing me, supporting me, encouraging me to continue to go on. I could not have done it without you. And I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you, my unstoppable listeners, for all of your support. Uh, and I just, I'm, I could not be more honored and thrilled to be receiving this award. Thank you so much. So, with that said, um, one of the things I want to start doing it better at Restaurant Unstoppable, and it's a lesson that I've learned from so many of my guests, which is th- this idea that we've got to slow down. We've got to slow down and go deeper. 
And over the past six years, I've been hustling like a madman to find the next person to make an example of, to go to the next person, onto the next person, onto the next person. And it served me well. I mean, it won me an award. I mean, it, it wasn't a complete waste. Don't get me wrong. But going into the future, what I would like to do is slow down and go deeper. I've met so many incredible people over these 600 plus episodes of it's time to start reflecting back at who were those people that had the biggest impact on me and you, the listeners who were the people who just really rocked those interviews. Let's get them back on the show. Where are they today? What's going on today? Uh, and this is going to be one of those first, uh, instances where I do that. So Chris was on the show episode 341. Chris Schultz. Uh, it was a really great interview. Probably, probably one of my best interviews today. And, uh, I found out that Chris was in Houston, Texas. Uh, he is now with a voodoo donut. When we, we recorded this episode, he was with mod pizza and he helped scale mod pizza from one location to over 200 locations. And that's kind of where he was when we recorded this three years ago. Uh, a year after this recording, he left mod pizza and joined voodoo donut. We don't talk about that in today's episode, but what I wanted to do is to catch you up. I wanted to bring this episode out of the archive and put it in front of you in case you're new to the show, because one, it's an incredible episode, and two, I just want, like I said, I want to catch you up and to prepare you for Thursday's episode, uh, where I get Chris back on the show. We talk about why he left Mod Pizza and what it's been like scaling Voodoo Donuts, and um, this is what I'm talking about when I say I want to go deeper. I want to compound off these pre-existing relationships so here it is episode 341 bringing it out of the archive playing it back for you to catch you up for thursday's episode when we uh pick up where we left off so enjoy it you're going to like it this is a one of the best with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chris schultz chris are you feeling unstoppable today my man Hey, Eric, I'm feeling unstoppable. I'm so excited to spend a little time with you. Thanks for inviting me. Dude, I'm pumped you're here. I got to know you just a little bit at the NRA trade show on the Foodable IO stage, uh, and you just won me over. Uh, and I know you're going to give us some great advice here today. Uh, so let me just give the, the listeners an aerial view of who we're talking to. Uh, Chris Schultz spent 14 years on the Starbucks management and leadership team before joining Mod Pizza, a.k.a. the Mod Squad, in 2009. Since then, Mod Pizza has gone from one location to over 100 locations in 2016. And where are you at now? We're at 235, I think, as of today, 236 as of tomorrow. Oh, wow. So That's... every day, it seems we just add another store on, but it's been an amazing ride. That makes my head spin just thinking about it. But uh, <laughs> uh, So since the beginning, the driving force behind Mod Pizza has been their philosophy of putting their people first. Today, Schultz holds the title of Senior Vice President of Operations. So obviously, just scraping the surface. I uh, can't wait to learn more about you Chris, uh, what makes you you and what makes Mod Pizza Mod Pizza? But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. Oh, yeah. Listen, there, there are so many that I can choose from. But the one that I really that I actually hangs on my desk and um, I look to almost every day is a quote from Harry Truman. It is amazing what you accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. Yes. I love that quote. Uh, and why does that sing to you? Dive into it. You know, I, I think so many folks really are me, 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 right? Let, let, let's take credit for everything we've done. And it's all about me. And, and um, for me, being in the restaurant business, my almost my entire career, and certainly here at Mod, 
it's really amazing the things that can happen when a team comes together. You don't really worry about who's the superstar, who gets the trophy, right? I think it's 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 really a positive, uh, motivational piece for all of our teams that not only are our GMs important, but every single mod squad around our teams are just important as a general manager or myself or even Scott and Allie Sense and our founders. Mm, I love it. And uh, really dive into, uh, just, just give us a brief history on Mod Pizza. We're going to dive into it more later on, but just to help paint the picture, uh, what's the, the company history there? Yeah, right on. So uh, we started in 2008. We were the uh, one of the original fast casual pizza concepts, if you were out there. In 2008, we opened our first store in November, probably the worst time, as you can imagine, in an economy to open a, a restaurant. And, and one of the, the real mantras of, of Ali and Scott Svensson was, you know, last thing the world needed was another restaurant, let alone another pizza restaurant. What it really needed was a restaurant was focused on its people and really bring some pride back to being a service. If you think back in the day, to be a service was a great and noble thing. I think over time, that's gone away. And it's gone away, especially in the restaurant industry. And one of the things when we, we initially started at Wad was, let's have pizza with a purpose. Let's do something different. Let's make focus on our teams and bring pride back to being a service and really develop a culture where everyone's as important as the next person. And, and what can you accomplish if you're really accomplishing not worrying about who takes credit? So in, we started in 2008. Uh, since then, in 2009, we opened four restaurants um, in a toured pace, mostly up here in the Northwest. But in 2011, I think 2012, is when we really started to move forward and open across the, the country. Uh, today, we operate in 21 states. We actually, we actually open in, in uh, we operate in the UK as well, five stores in the UK. Um, predominantly company owned, about 80% of our stores are company owned, but we have a great group of franchisees who believe in that same culture first mantra. Awesome. Uh, with, the, with an objective of opening probably north of 85 to 100 stores this year. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know how you guys are doing it, but uh, I'm sure we're about to find out. Uh, and just real quick, uh, tell us about uh, your role uh, as Senior Vice President of Operations. Sure. So I'm the senior vice president of operations. Currently, I'm now starting to focus more international as we grow that, but uh, really taking it from the ground up. Um, you know, having been with with Mod and, and Scott and Alley from the first store, as you can imagine, right? Our very first offices were our cars, and for the first ten stores, we operated out of our cars, on the back of our cars, really every day in the stores with our hands in it. And since then, have have been involved in design and construction and HR, as you can imagine, back in the early days operational effectiveness in our stores, operational excellence, and really helping to build the culture as we grow throughout the country. And as somebody who's in charge of operations, I'm really excited once we pull back the layers later on to see how uh, that unfolded and how you prioritized uh, growth. So I'm really excited for that part of the conversation. But now let's kind of dive into more of your story, Chris. Uh, and yeah. yeah, how did you get into the industry? <laughs> well, you know, it started when I was 15 years old, washing dishes in the back of a, a little Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles called Tabroso's. Uh, it was phenomenal. At 15, I was a dishwasher. Um, they called me Carlos. I told them every day my name was Chris. And they laughed and said, okay, Carlos, keep washing dishes. That's awesome. Um, and, and the reality was I just knew there was a calling there. I, I ventured off at times. I was a cruise director for a short time in my career. actually spent some time with the Marriott company. Uh, and then was fortunate enough, as you spoke about, to join Starbucks in, in, in relatively the early years of them and, and had the opportunity to work for some phenomenal leaders and watch that growth as, as we grew stores, not only 
domestically but internationally and, and had the opportunity to work for, as I said, some phenomenal leaders who really helped really helped develop me and really helped develop my role and who I was from an operator and a leader, and quite frankly, as a leader of people, uh, and, and really to help ensure that every day we focus on our people. But, you know, the reality was I never thought I'd be in the restaurant business, right? Dishwasher, cruise director, selling coffee, not a selling pizza. Yeah. But today it's all about pizza. So, right? uh, it's all about people, Eric. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's all about people. So let's get into that transition of, uh, you know, what did you go to school for? I'm curious. Like, what did you study and how did you become uh, the director of a cruise or, uh, yeah, so I was so I, I actually went to school to play baseball. Um, okay. I was a great baseball player and a, quite frankly, a shitty student. I'm not sure if I can say that word. It's fine um, by me. But I wasn't a very good student. But I but I was a, I was a, a I was a great baseball player. I was a member of a great team. What I learned through that was how important teamwork is and how important being a member of a team was all about. And having a great coach and the success of the team was really based not only on the members of that team but the coach and setting direction for us and motivating us. And I think as I came out of that into the restaurant business, I really took those learnings about being a part of a team and, and rolled those into my role as a leader in, in our organization. I'm a great coach. At the end of the day, I'm not, I'm not the one making the pizza every day. I'm not the one in the back making the, making the dough or, or prepping the food, right? I'm the coach that sets the direction and then really believe in the team and let the team do what they do best, get on the field and operate. All right. So, okay, let's fast forward to um, you're getting a job at Starbucks. Uh, how, yeah. how did you find this opportunity and what appealed to you about the opportunity? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really crazy story. I actually was at a job fair, believe it or not, in Chicago, Illinois, and walking the, fair at, uh, walking the job fair floor. And uh, Starbucks was in its early days, and they had a, a booth set up, and I met this amazing woman Wendy Beckman, who now is the uh, VP of Apple operations in, in Europe. Uh, she was a district manager for Chicago uh, back in the day. And she said, hey, come on in and talk to us. We've got this great coffee company and we're going to grow everywhere. We're not known anywhere yet, but we're going to grow. And had the opportunity to sit down and, and through that process, actually had an opportunity to meet Howard Schultz, who was there at the job fair. And, you know, Howard is just such an amazing individual, right? He's got this, this, um, this perception, sorry, this personality that's just, you, you just, you're drawn to him, right? He shared this vision of growing this great company that truly was based on its people and the third place environment. And I was sold. I was sold. I, I was working in a nightclub business and I was sold. And I said, I can go from being a nightclub to being a coffee. That'll be super easy. Um, but it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, right? Joining a culture led company is, is challenging. Not everyone embraces it. Not everyone understands what that really means. And for the first couple of years, I struggled with really understanding what does culture-led organization really mean? And, and through some great mentors, and I'm a big fan of mentors, and I hope we get a chance to talk about that at I one point. So. Yeah, I'm a big fan of mentors and having great mentors. And I had some great mentors along that path who really helped me to understand what it was about to be a part of a culture-led organization. Um, and through that challenge with Starbucks, I helped open several international markets, opened several domestic markets, and then had a great opportunity to come and work in the corporate headquarters and really see where the sausage is made, right? To really get involved at that corporate headquarters to see, okay, things start eight to 10 months ahead of the time it ever hits the store and all the effort energy is put into it and all the thoughtfulness that goes around it before it actually rolls to a restaurant somewhere throughout the country. And really start to embrace that and understand what that really felt like. All right, let's tap the brakes. So, let's tap the brakes real quick because I want to dive deeper. I think yeah. there's some really good uh, value 
thus far in this conversation, uh, this experience of Howard Schultz and how he sold you on the, the culture led culture driven organization. So, uh, that's something we're all going to have to do. If we do our, if we do it right and we choose to, uh, have culture in purpose in uh, reason or, you know, reason behind our restaurant, driving our restaurant or why, uh, we got to sell that. So w- what did you learn from Howard Schultz on selling the why selling th- the purpose? Yeah, I will tell you, actually the person behind all of that was Howard BR. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about him as well. But my, my initial meetings with Howard Schultz was around his thought around, we can bring this, this, this concept of the third place in everybody's homes, right? If you imagine back in the day with Starbucks, Starbucks was trying to be the third place, right? Home being your first, work being your second, Starbucks wanted to be your third place. And really build an environment where you felt as comfortable coming to Starbucks as you did going home or going to work. And really by putting their people first, by saying, listen, it's about that connection that happens every single day in every one of our restaurants. And enabling our teams to engage those customers in such a way where the customer really feels like they're welcome and they're a guest in my home every time they come into the organization, every time they come into one of my restaurants. And so when, when he talked to me about that, it really started clicking my mind around, boy, you know what? We all want to feel that place where we can go that's uniquely different, that uniquely feels like home and feels like work, but yet it's different. I can go there, I can be myself, whether I want to go by myself, I want to go with friends, I want to spend five minutes, I want to spend 10 minutes at dinner day. It wasn't dictated by the restaurant. It was dictated by me. Mm. And for me, the, everything from the music to the, to the chairs and the furniture that was chosen were chosen with distinct thought around making that environment feel like a place where you can go and relax and be comfortable, including the people. And, and so as I saw that evolve over time, and I had a great opportunity to spend some time around Howard B.R., who was actually was also one of the founders of Starbucks, and he was really about the culture, really about people first, right? At today, you have to be a person first and foremost. That's who we are every single day, right? He, he's got a great quote of wear the same hat, meaning that you have to wear the same hat at work as you do at home, as you do at work. You have to be the same person. You can't put on a persona when you go to work because people see right through that. Mm. And so the reality for me was if we could build a culture in a company where that was in the forefront and let people be themselves, Wow, how successful could you be? And I think it's much more relevant even today with today's work environment, right? With the millennials we're employing today in HR restaurants. They're individuals, right? They are who they are. Yeah. And they want to be individuals. And so I think what we found at Mod is we allow those folks to be themselves, but yet bring it to work and enjoy it. And, and we, we call it individuality of responsibility. Awesome, man. Right? Uh, be yourself but have some responsibility with it. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to summarize up to this point. Uh, the first lesson at Starbucks for you seemed to be the idea that it can be something greater. Uh, there can be a purpose driven concept, uh, a culture led organization. That's what hooked you. That was a big lesson early on. And then as you evolved as a professional, you went deeper and you really embrace this idea of letting everybody kind of just be themselves uh, and to be natural, to be authentic, to be genuine and to empower them to uh, be themselves with the, the, the customer, the guest the, uh, to create that third place environment. Is that a safe summary of up yeah. to this point? I think, I think that, that's spot on, Eric. And, I, and I, you know, listen, I think consumers and customers can, can see right through things, right? They know it's authentic. There's so much noise going on in today's world from, from the social media piece 
um, that's happening. People, people can see right through it. And I think those companies that are authentic and deliver an authentic experience, whether you're a, a restaurant or retailer, I think those are the, the places that customers tend to go to and want to spend more time in. Mm. So um, we covered some of the some of the lessons early on. Uh, what were some of the more uh, I don't know advanced lessons or different lessons you learned as you progressed with Starbucks? Yeah. Uh, real I'll quick, you, before you dive in, real quick, uh, when you jumped yeah. on, what? How many Starbucks were there? How big had Starbucks grown? I'm sorry, I want to paint that picture. I think we were just north of uh, 300 stores. Okay, just north of 300, which is insignificant compared to how large they were over 20,000 stores. I think by the time you left. Yeah. So. I think when I left, it was, well, I think when I left, we were, we were just breaking the 20,000. Okay. 20,000. Okay, cool. Thanks for um, painting that picture. Uh, now. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. Pick up where I cut you off. Is, yeah. So for us and mod in our very early days, Sayer just simply wasn't an option, right? When you row the boat ashore and you burn the oars, the decisions you make are very different when failure is not an option. It just isn't. So just And so you work that much harder. You focus that much more. You ensure you surround yourself with people that have that same feeling and that same yes. entrepreneurial spirit where failure just simply is an option. We just can't fail, right? There's too many people that count on us, and, and we're doing something different and something unique, and the world needs what we're doing. It so, needs a place where people can come to work, feel appreciated, be themselves, and quite frankly, get paid a wage that they feel like they're comfortable and they can live. And so when fair's not an option, you go about things very differently. In the early days of mod, that was kind of a rallying cry. Right? Fair just simply wasn't an option. So what does that do to the mind, the human mind, that just philosophy, that the acceptance that failure is not an option? How does that affect the way you think? Yeah, I think I think both for the leadership all the way down to your to your hourly team members, when when that's their mindset, right? You go at things very differently. You you spend that extra hour really ensuring that you're delivering the experience. You spend the extra time interviewing people to make sure they're the right people you're bringing in. You spend the extra time looking at every store and making sure the light picture is the perfect light picture. You spend every hour making sure the music overhead is at a tone that's perfect and comfortable for all of your customers and your guests that come in your store, right? Because the reality is we just fail on option. We can't fail. We can't simply open a restaurant and say, well, that didn't work. Let's move on to something else. Yeah. And when you can surround yourself with people that have that same mindset, it's amazing what you can become. Mm. In. Right. If you go back even, you know, most recently, if you look at the Cubs of last year, right, I know it's it's different for many, but if you talk, you know, if you look at kind of the, the Joe Madden sense last year, he said for the Cubs, fair just wasn't an option for them, right? They were not going to lose. Yeah, and, you know, I, I can't help but think about the whole idea that uh, uh, once you – if you accept failure as an option or you accept that something's not possible, your brain shuts down because you've already tagged and labeled that as not possible, not an option, like, or it's an option. So I choose to fail and just, you know, wipe my hands clean of the situation. But when you don't accept failure as an option, it forces you to get creative, to really think critically and to solve problems uh, and to really just figure it out and be committed to the, the cause. Any reflection or thoughts on what I just shared? Yeah, listen, the reality is you're all in, mm-hmm. right? I, I think we're just trying to say at the end of the day, 
when you when you do it, you're all in, mm-hmm. right? Every 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 everything you do, every mindset you have is is focused on ensuring that we're not going to fail. We're just simply not going to fail. And I think that um, part of the success of modern early days was just that, right? We found some really great folks that had that same mindset and really focused on ensuring that it wasn't about just one store succeeding. It was the opportunity to grow one store so we could open another one and hire more like-thinking people, right? <laughs> and then open another one and give more people opportunities to be great and perhaps get a second chance. One of the, one of the, the things that Mod is we're a, we're a second chance opportunity hire, right? Yeah. So there are folks that work in an organization who are clean and sober, who have come through the program, and perhaps have made a misstep in their life somewhere. But in Mod, what we said is, that's okay, everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone deserves a second chance in life. Yeah. And so for us, having that mentality really helped to drive the enterprise forward because folks came into the enterprise and said, you know what? This may be my only chance. <laughs> I, I can tell you're chomping you're chomping at the bit to, to talk more about mod and I, I don't blame you because of what you're creating is, is truly amazing <laughs> uh, we're going to get there we're going to dive in deep I promise uh, but I want to kind of bring it back to Starbucks a little bit yeah. and kind of like the later years and I'm curious um <laughs> From the time that you came in and it was sexy and exciting and uh, a culture-driven organization growing so fast, uh, what was it like, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, um, when you were massive? Um, how did that change? What was the culture like from beginning to end? Yeah. For you, at least. Well, I, I, think, I think for me personally, it really was, you know, how do you grow big but remain small? Right. Mm-hmm. How do you grow big, but, but ensure it, at least either from my seat, that I had a, a small company mentality, meaning that every store we opened was important as the last one. Because I think you get in this in this rhythm where you're opening stores and things feel great and everything's running smoothly. But, you know, it's as important to open that one store in Minnesota as it was open store 10 in, in, in California. And for me, the important part as a leader was ensure we put as much focus on that single store opening as we did way back in the day. And so part, I think that that challenge was a reminder at the leadership level that every, every new hire, every new store was, was as important in year 10 as it was in year one. And if you remain focused that way, the culture would continue to grow. When you started to lose touch or started to lose your focus, on ensuring that importance. I think that's where, where companies tend to lose their way sometimes because they forget about the fact of all the energy and effort that went into that single store opening, that very first store opening. So how did you keep that at top of mind, at the surface, that mentality of the same focus and passion opening store number one as store 100? Like how, how, do, you, how do you keep that? there like any secrets for somebody who might be going through this like maybe not store 100 but store like four or five or six yeah absolutely so for us and what i've really learned through my years is cultures travel two stories right the other day as leaders we're storytellers the best leaders are great storytellers and they spend time telling the stories with their teams or direct reports or the hourly folks in stores and tell the stories about what got what got us here Right? Culture travels through stories. As Drucker said way back when, I think we talked about this before, right? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> and to ensure that if you're going to build an organization, you've got to build an organization where the culture is as strong as anything else in the operation. 
right? Our food is great, and our food's been wonder is fantastic. But quite frankly, our culture has to be as good, if not better, than our food. Mm. And so, what I'm hearing from you is that when you're before you go to location two, three, or four, or before you even open location number one, you need to start thinking about the story you're going to tell and really get clear about what it is that drives what you do and to have ultimate complete clarity on your purpose, on your mission, your vision, your values and where you're steering the ship. And then that's your story that gets told years beyond. Yeah, exactly. Eric. And, and listen, I, and, and I'll, I will tell you, listen, that story can change over time and it certainly can, but I think the important part of being a great leader and, and setting the trend for your teams is your ability to communicate to them what that mission value vision looks like and to truly have stories around it because I think people connect that way. Yeah. And I, in, in my experience, people connect the stories and the people and about the journey of life. Yeah. Because, you know, the reality is we're all selling a commodity or a product, but it's really people serving people. Mm. And, I- and so for us, that real focus on that people piece is important. So on a personal level, though, how do yeah. you, I mean, that's great advice. The idea of, you know, telling the story and using the story to, to deliver the culture, the message. But how do you as the leader reach in to show up, you know, time and time and time and time again, an example like Starbucks to have that same fire, that same passion. Like how did you not get sick of it? How did you find that, that passion or how did you, you know, keep the flame lit? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the reality for me is, is really, um, and, and we did it at Starbucks and, and we certainly do it here at Mod, is finding culture carriers, right? Finding people in the organization who are super passionate about what we do. And there are cultural icons, right? Allow them to tell the stories, right? Help them understand because, listen, I, myself or Scott or anybody in the organization, I can't touch every store. I can't be at every store, but our culture carriers can and to ensure that those stories resonate throughout the organization. So they're not one man or one woman telling the story. They're stories about who we are and what we're all about. You know, if you go back to, I think so many organizations out there have these great stories of, of customer service and who they truly are. If you go back to Nordstrom's and talk about Nordstrom's, right, there's a great story about customer service, about a woman returning tires to a Nordstrom because way back in the day there was a, there was a, there was a tire center at the same place they now built the Nordstrom. And in order some people saying, you know what, we don't sell tires, we'll figure out how to get these returned for you, right? Those are small, iconic stories. Now, listen, I think of today the revisionist history to a point, but the reality, there are stories about who they are and what they want to be. Mm-hmm. So, and so for me, where I get engaged is around our people. And I look for stories every day. I talk to our folks. I listen. I really pay attention. And they're the ones helping me tell the stories, right? Because every day when I go to work, there's a new story. There's a new story about somebody that works for us in, in Downey, California, who's just gotten their first job and gotten their first paycheck. And they're so excited about being able to live and buy their own car. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, man. And really paying attention <laughs> to those small stories. It's, right? Oh, that's cool. And I think as a leader... You've got to pay attention. Yeah. And there are some great stories with mod pizza that I just, you know, that I stumbled across through my research and we're going to get there. I, I promise you, uh, everyone probably wants to start learning about more about mod, but I'll have one more question uh, before we start yeah, talking please. about how you transitioned into mod. And, um, 
Oh, when I met you in Chicago, uh, we actually were on the Foodable IO stage together, and this was the topic: the importance yeah. of culture and what how to stay small um, or uh, you know appear small when when you grow so big. How do you have that small impact? And I asked you one of the last things we discussed. I asked when you left Starbucks, uh, was there that same passion, that same fire? Um, did you have that? Was it was it present as present as when you left? Uh, in what do you think when you from when you, you entered Starbucks at 300 locations to when you left that a little over 20,000 had the culture changed? It had it diluted. Uh, honestly, and I, and I'm sorry if I'm exposing you a little too much, but I'm, I'm really curious uh, on to what you have to say about this now. Yeah, listen, I, I think I think the Starbucks story has been told now many times through, through several different ways um, around <laughs> how at, at some point they kind of they kind of lost their way. Yeah. Um, and they went back and got it back. Right. But I think. You know, the reality is, if you think about the stories of Starbucks, even back to when, when Howard shut all the stores down and said, we're all going to taste espresso again, because that's the core of our business. And I want to ensure each of our baristas understand the importance of what espresso is all about. Mm. Right. Well, that's a great story of getting back to the basics. Yep. And, and, you know, the reality is, I think any of us, I'm a big Starbucks fan. I go every day. Mm-hmm. And I don't go just because I, I work there. I'm a shareholder. I go because I actually enjoy the experience. Mm. I enjoy the product. I enjoy the experience. Um, you know, that's what I think the reality is everyone's tasted them over the years. But there's a lot of big Starbucks fans out there. And I think if you go on Starbucks today, is it different than it was 10 years ago? Sure it is. But I think they've evolved. Mm. Right? They've evolved who they are and what they're going to be. But they've done some recent things with, with some of their tuition reimbursements and things like that, hiring veterans to get back involved in their communities. But I think they noticed or they identified, not speaking on their behalf, but they potentially identified, hey, we've kind of lost our mission here. How do we get back to the core? Yeah. To who we are, which is a neighborhood coffee shop. And, and you know, I'm not trying to expose Starbucks. I'm not trying to like yeah. bash them. I think there's a really great learning opportunity behind all this. Uh, and that's to not lose your way. And I'm curious in, in your opinion, real quick before I move on, what do you think was at the core of maybe the temporary loss of direction? If you could narrow it down to anything. Yeah. Listen, I think anytime you grow fast, um, you, you, you run the risk of losing the core of your culture. Um, and I think, you know, the challenge with that is ensuring that you're surrounding yourself, the organization with leaders and, and, and the folks that work in the stores, they all understand it. Mm. And, and whether you're 10,000 stores or one to four, we all run that risk, mm. right? Are we growing too fast? Are we losing our, our, the culture? Are we losing who we really were when we started out? Um, I think we all run that risk. And I think, I think Starbucks would tell you that they grew really fast, really fast in a hurry. Um, and there probably was a point in time in their, in their lifespan where they, they, they kind of shifted away from it and really shifted away from the core of their business, which is selling a great cup of coffee, probably mm. the best in the world, mm. um, to really getting back to that core. Right? You went into a Starbucks store at one point in time, there was music and furniture and all sorts of things. Um, but I think now, if you look at their stores today, they're really focused on providing a great experience. You know, if you go to some of their new roastery plants or the new roastery stores, they're beautiful. It's back to the core of who they are. Awesome. Cool. Um, and I think we all run that risk. Yeah. Right? Whether you're, like I said, one to five, five to ten, ten to ten thousand. It's that challenge of ensuring that as you grow, are you keeping the culture strong? Thank you for diving into that. Are you Thank you. Thank you for diving into that. I appreciate it. I know it's probably old news for you and you're ready to focus on now Mod Pizza, which I don't blame you (laughs) because you guys are doing awesome stuff. So 
All right, I'm going to stop it there. This is a great place to take a break and thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto, that's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. All right, we're back. And now it's time to transition to Mod Pizza. Let's transition to that part of your life, uh, 2008. Uh, it's kind of uh, there. There are some connections behind the scenes here because uh, uh, was it Allie and Steve or Scott? Allie and Scott. Um, yeah. They were bought out by Starbucks. Is that kind of how you eventually crossed paths? Is that how you? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. So Scott and Allie sent it our founders, our co-founders, and, and really are, are the two of us of what Mod's all about. Um, they actually owned a coffee company called Seattle Coffee Company in the UK that ultimately was bought out by Starbucks. And uh, I had the good fortune to go over to the UK with the Starbucks group and open Starbucks stores uh, in the UK and had the great fortune of running across Scott and Alley. And uh, lo and behold, I, I think it was 10 years later, crossed our paths again when they when they started Mod Pizza. And there were some great folks that are members of our board and advisors and investors in Mod who all have a Starbucks connection. Uh, and through them, and, and along with my experience of working with Scott Dowling in the past, I had the great fortune of joining Mod when we were one store and we had two leases signed with just a vision of what we wanted to become. And how did you discover this opportunity? How did you know that they were looking for growth and why did you choose to leave Starbucks and join Mod? Yeah, so um, it, it's an interesting story. Jim Alling, who is uh, currently the CEO of Tom Shoes, gave me a call. Um, he was the former president of Starbucks. And uh, he had been involved with, with Mod from the very early days and helped really open the first store. And he gave me a call and said, hey, we're doing this pizza concept. And a gentleman named Paul Tuig, who was uh, re- most recently the president of Dunkin' Brands, was kind of running this day-to-day. Um, and Scott and Allie are involved. And we've got this one shop in downtown Seattle doing pizza a different way, fast casual, never been done before. Um, and we think it really needs an operator. And we'd love for you to come over and talk to us about what that would mean. Mm. And so um, spent a little time with Scott and Allie, with Paul and Jim, and, uh, and made the decision to come over and see what we could become. Uh, you know, the reality was back then, it was just really opening three or four stores to see what we had. We mm. weren't quite sure whether fast casual pizza would click, right? Would people eat pizza for lunch? Would women eat pizza for lunch? Right, we offer a great salad offering, but but would it click? Would people would people embrace it? Because it was a uniquely different way of doing pizza that we'd never seen before. Um, so before and, and, we go uh, and talk about the evolution of the store, I really want to find out um, what was it that sold you on Mod from the very beginning? How yeah, what was yeah. it? What was going on there? Well, as as you know, Eric, and I think probably many of your listeners know, it's about people. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think we've said that a, a couple times on the show now, and I, yeah, yeah. it is absolutely. But I believe, what people, but I believe in Scott he, Allen. Okay. I, I believed in Paul, and I believed in Jim Allen. What was it about that? I believed in them. I, I believed in their leadership. I believed in who they were. I believed in what what they stood for, and so I took a leap of faith. Was it just a right? feeling because that you got, or people? Like, that? was it just a feeling, a gut feeling that you got, or, or was there something that was going on behind the scenes that really just drove or like pushed you in this direction? Yeah, I, I wish I could say there was some magic there that I had some forethought. I was such a, a smart thinker. I thought, wow, this thing will become 200 stores in 10 years, and what a great ride that'll be. The, the honest answer is that's not true. Okay. The honest answer is it was a gut feeling that I had, and, and, and believing in these people that are surrounded the business. Mm. Um, you know, I think I think we all work for people, right? Yep. We don't work for a company; we work for people. And then, a regardless of whether they're going to do pizza or burgers or something else, I believed in the people, and I wanted to work for Scott and Allie and Paul Tuig and Jim Alling and Howard. I wanted to work for those folks. Chris, I'd worked for them in the past and had a great experience. And I just wanted to work with them. Paint a picture. Go, I believe in them. Paint a picture of how they made you feel. Because uh, I feel like there's a great lesson in here. And like you said, it's about the people. Um, it's about how they make you feel in that gut feeling that they put into you. So what was that impression like? What were they doing? How did they care of themselves? Like what made you so intrigued by them? Yeah. So by, by each of those, having spent time around several of them, when they were at Starbucks and leaders at Starbucks and Scott and Allie went in, in the UK, it was really this sense of purpose, right? This sense of they're going to build a company that, that respected the folks they worked for and respected me as, as I came in as an operator and gave us the freedom to really grow and think outside the box. And they gave me a sense of, again, failure's not an option. If we're going to fail, we're going to fail together. Mm. It wasn't going to be me on my own saying out there trying to run one, one pizza restaurant and hope that it succeed. Everyone's going to look around and say, "Best of luck to you." We're all in it together. Okay. So and the reality was, I knew inside of my inside of my gut. Listen, to how these kind of folks around the business, it was going to be hard to fail. Mm-hmm. So in the first uh, few early years, when you were still less than you know five locations before 2011, we'll say first three years. Yeah. Uh, when you were one location, uh, and you were before you went to the two and three locations. Like, what was your priority as a director of operations? Like, where were you focused? What were you trying to do? How did you know it was time to go to two and three locations? Yeah. So, so that's a great question because you know, I'll tell you our first story open in downtown Seattle, we had, uh, yeah, I would say, um, okay results, right? We were, we were predominantly a lunch business. We were venturing out to go to a neighborhood store and then over off of, off of one of our, our campuses here at university of Washington campus. But I think the reality was um, that time was right when we knew it was time to grow was when we saw folks come in and they were asking about when are we going to grow more stores? When are you going to go? I mean, at the end of the day, financially is, is right. We all talk about that, right? At the end of the day, we need to make money. We need to be a for-profit company. We have to be. That day, that's the most important piece. But I think the, the piece for us was, listen, we think we're on to something here, so let's go try it. Right, let's get out there and try it. One of one of Scott's great mantras is fail fast or fail early. Okay. And so for us, our first five stores, we put them in uniquely different trade areas. We didn't put them on Maine and Maine because we didn't want to have immediate success. We want to ensure that if we're going to build a brand, if we're going to make a mistake in a real estate selection or what we're doing, fail early in our career. 
Let's do it early. Mm. So Let's make sure we make those bad calls early. So you're basically early on. You're you're trying to find holes in the in the model. You're trying to find out where it doesn't work. So you know, is is that safe to say? Like you were almost taking like the shotgun approach of seeing what hit, what didn't. Yeah, hit? yeah, well, yeah. I mean, listen, it was it was a little bit more sniper than shotgun, <laughs> but yeah, candidly, right? I mean, I think many many organizations you know you open on main and main and you're immediately successful. And you start to get a false read. Yep. Right? Because we all know in the restaurant business, location, location, location. Right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is I think many of us open, and you get a false read on the sense of, boy, do I have a company or a product or an experience that people are going to come to if we're at second in Maine or third in Maine? And so for us in those early days, we were very thoughtful around putting them in distinctly different trade areas with distinctly different demographics. To see, did it play in a in a university setting? Did it play in a traditional uh, neighborhood setting? Baby buggies and ro- and rooftops. Did it play in a downtown environment? Right, and and really, we were very strategic in doing that in the early days to really prove out did the model work? Right, were people going to come for fast casual pizza for lunch and for dinner? Were they going to bring their families? Were they going to come with their with their coworkers? Were they come on a, on a date? And I think in those first five stores, we really explored that. And we moved slow. And I think challengingly, people would say we probably moved slower than, than a lot of people wanted us to. What's the, what was the we benefit of moving slow? Very methodical. Say again? What's the benefit of moving slow? Well, I think, again, you go back to ensuring that when you're ready to go fast and you're ready to step on the gas pedal, you're confident in what you're doing. Mm. I will tell you, we move slowly because not only do we want to make sure the four-wall economics worked, but we want to make sure we had a strong culture. Who mm. were we? Okay. What were we going to stand for? Yes. Right? When we talked to our teams, our customers came in our, and talked to our, our, our mod squad as man to counter, who were we? Yeah. Right? And, and I think we move slowly as we continue to develop that, right? And they really dialed all the four-wall economics. And once we had the four-wall economics dialed in, along with this really secure feeling of what type of culture we wanted to be, what do we want to be known for? Well, now it was easy to go fast, right? right. Because we're all on the same page. So, we're all singing from the same sheet of music. And away you go. So in, and uh, so, on, in, I guess in regard to people and culture, when yeah. do you know that your people in the culture are ready to withstand big growth without taking too much of a hit, without being too diluted? Yeah, no, I, that, that, that's a fantastic question. And we're asked that many times over. I mean, how, how do you, how do you do that? How do you grow across the country and maintain the culture? And for us, we took some of our key learnings from Starbucks. We took some of the key learnings from folks in the business. And again, I go back to these culture carriers, right? And ensuring that in the early days, we identified this great group of individuals that we call all stars. Um, and they were really our culture carriers. They were the folks that we sent out. We opened a new store to help open a new store, right? They were the ones that were feet on the ground, telling the stories, really helping develop, not only train the new stores, but tell the stories around the culture. And to really tell the stories around who we want to be, what do we want to stand for, are actively involved in the communities, all of those things, all of that messaging that was growing quite frankly, a little bit under the radar here up in the Northwest uh, where people hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. So you're and we're really ready. 
Sorry. I was going to say, so you're basically, you're identifying these rock stars, these A players, and you're, you're imprinting them onto the rest of your team and you're spreading that, that fire through story, through people who get it, who are basically the, the example of the picture of perfection. You're painting that picture through these people, through their stories. Exactly. I mean, the reality is whether it's myself or Scott or Allie or any of members of our team, Heidi Durfee, another member, key member of our team, any of our folks goes out, listen, the folks in the stores can do it and are, are more important than we are. They tell the stories. They live the stories. They breathe the stories every day. And we knew it was right when we walked in a store in Yakima, Washington, which is two hours away from our headquarters here in Seattle. And I'll tell you, when you walked in, you went, this is mod. The people on the counter were mod. The, the environment was a mod. The feelings you get was a mod. You know, I'm a big believer. I think we talked about this before. I'm a big believer in, I stole a quote from Howard B.R., the walls talk. Yeah. You know, I think when you walk in a place, you can just tell if good things are happening. Mm. You walk in someone's home, you, you get in a car, you go to somebody's house, you go to the church. When you open that front door, you just know good things are happening. It's not the music or the, or the vibe. You just feel it. Mm-hmm. Likewise, you can feel when things aren't right. Yeah. And so for us, we use that term, the walls talk, very literally here. Right? When you walk in one of mods, what are the walls telling you? Are the good things happening here? Do you feel good about it? I think there's this intrinsic feeling that customers have. They go back to a place that makes them feel good. Mm. They go back to a place when they walk out and they go, God, I want to go back there. I don't know why. The food was fantastic. The value proposition was great. And God, the, the service was great. But it wasn't that. I just want to go back there. It just makes me feel good. I love it. And I think when you start building, whether it's a restaurant, a retail chain, where people start saying that about your stores, boy, check the box, mm. right? You start to win. Awesome. So as you started to grow, I mean, it, reflecting back on the uh, almost nine years now you've been with Mod, um, yeah. what were the biggest lessons uh, that you picked up in this part of your life, in this part of your professional career? Yeah. Yeah. So one of them, again, I steal, but do it because it's right, not because it's right for your resume. Mm. And how do you know if it's right, right. for you and not right for your resume? We'll, we'll dive into that. Well, you know, for me, it's, it's, does it make you feel good, right? At the end of the day, does it, does it really get you up and does it really motivate you to go to work? Does it really make you feel like I'm not just going to put on my CV so someone can read it and, and go, oh, my goodness, look at all these great things you've done? But hey, does it feel like like the right thing to do as a human being? Mm. Why is that right? so important? I think time, well, I think in a time where we're all moving so fast, right? It's all about social media and knowing everything and Facebook and everyone's talking and everyone knows exactly what I'm doing. But the reality is, today we're human beings serving human beings, mm-hmm. and that connection you feel every day. Do you feel connected? Do you feel connected to the folks you're working with? Are you excited about coming to work? We all have bad days and good days. But at the end of the day, do you feel connected when you come to work? And again, I go back to this millennial group. I think that's what's important to them. They want to be be a part of a company that stands for more than just profits. Mm -hmm. Profits are important, right? We like to say at Mod, we're a for-profit company. We're a proud for-profit company with some nonprofit tendencies. 
So what do you think it is about the millennial generation that has opened their eyes and that uh, leads them to take work for the right reasons, uh, not the, the monetary reasons? Oh, wow. We could do a whole podcast just millennials, <laughs> millennial workforce. Hey, I'm, down, I'm down for it. Don't tempt me. I might have we to say. We could spend hours <laughs> talking about that. Um, I'll tell you, at least my experience. Um, you know, I, I believe that they, they remember this group went through the time when, when the economy was tough. Mm-hmm. And many of them existed around times when, when their friends or families or people they knew had really tough times. And they were all struggling. And people were struggling for work, struggling to make a buck. And I think in today's world, these folks now, money's important, but money's not the end all to be all. You know, in today's world, when I grew up, I'd go across the street for another quarter. Mm-hmm. Right? I'd leave my dishwashing place and go right across the street for another quarter. Today, I, I think today's millennial workforce won't do that. I think if they believe that they're part of, part of a company that stands for more, lets them be an individual, lets them be who they are, embraces who they are, not only embraces, but applauds who they are and wants them to be themselves. I think that's where they start to really resonate. And you start to build this, quite frankly, this unrelenting belief and commitment to an organization. Mm-hmm. I think the times of name tags have gone. Say that one more time. The time, the time of what? Wearing name tags? Name tag. Okay. Name tag in a store is gone. Why? Because, you know, I think the reality is people want to talk to each other. Right, a name tag goes back today when my dad used to have to go to work and he had a shirt that he had his name on his shirt every day and he just didn't like his job. But he had to go work for the man. So And I think I think in today's world the millennials who are quite frankly more educated, much more knowledgeable than we were when we grew up mm-hmm. through social media, I think they're now at a point in time where they want to they want to believe in something. Yeah. And they want to believe in each other. And they want to stand next to the person next to them and know that we're in this together. Yep. Right. And, and I want you to be as successful as I am. Yeah. You know, and, and they have this window into the world. You kind of just touched on it with social media where they can see anywhere in the world to see what's happening, to see how other people are being treated, to know what the standard could be or should be. And good on them for not settling for less. And I think that's kind of uh, really at the core of it is, uh, years past, generations past, they didn't know what was possible. They didn't know what could be. Uh, so they settled for a certain level of treatment and certain standards of living, getting, working for the paycheck and thinking that's all it's about. But because of this, these windows that have opened to everyone, we, we know that there's more out there and that it is attainable. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I, listen, I think people today... Uh, when we open a news store anywhere throughout the country, many times our employees or folks are mod squads that come and apply. They know more about the company than I know about it, right? They've done their homework. They come and apply after doing their homework. They've gone on social media. They've seen what it, what it looks like, what it looks like to work at mod. So they're coming in educated when they make a choice to come and apply at mod, mm. which is very different than back in the day when a now hiring banner was up and you had no idea who they were, but you needed a job and you walked in and you put your resume down. So I think people are being selective now in places they choose to go to work mm-hmm. and very selective in the place that they want to call home. Because yeah. as we all know, we spend as much time many times at work as we do at home. Mm. So and it starts with those up the sense of family. Absolutely. I love it. And, and um, so you mentioned do it uh, because it's right. Not 
because it's the right paycheck or the right resume builder. Uh, give me one more yeah. nugget, one thing you know to be true that you've experienced uh, in your time uh, as a director of operation and manager for all these great companies. All right, before we get into that, one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Imagine if processing invoices was as easy as snapping a photo with your smartphone. Oh my gosh, that'd be nice. Well, with Margin Edge, it is that easy. You snap a photo of the invoice and Margin Edge takes it from there. Every line item in every handwritten note is captured. Margin Edge then integrates with your POS so each day you know everything you bought and everything you sold. With Margin Edge, you get a rolling P&L with drill down capabilities and it flows effortlessly to your accounting system of choice. That's pretty nice. So what does this mean to you? It means you can run your restaurant without the massive paperwork nightmare. It means getting your team back to creating memorable experiences for your guests. It means having your purchase and sales data in one place immediately for effective and rapid decision making. So if we have your attention, go to me.margineedge.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 50% off your first year. Go to me.margineedge.com slash unstoppable. I'm sure you felt it before, right? That pressure, that intense pressure to have your restaurant website on point, but you should have that pressure. You should feel this way because your restaurant website is so important. It is your first impression and it represents your entire brand. But here's the thing. You're not a web developer. You're a restaurant owner. So how can you be held to these standards? Well, with a bento box, that's how bento box empowers you to own your presence, profit and guest relations, all with full support, integration and analytics. And here's something that's really great about bento box is that it prioritizes website accessibility. So with bento box, you can get a certified accessible restaurant website that follows ADA guidelines and supports your business because this is how you show your people you care. Beyond that, bento box websites drive 70% more traffic. They see seven times more conversions and get five times return on investment. What else can I say? Well, how about over 5,000 restaurants in all 50 states and around the world are using this platform with its suite of tools. Head over to getbento.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save 50% off your setup. Again, that's getbento, G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O.com slash unstoppable. All right, Chris has one more nugget for us. Here it is. Well, we all, we're all human beings first, right? At, at the core, we're human beings. So what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, is no one comes to work wanting to do a bad job. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I'm going to go to work today and do a bad job. You know, I, I'm a big believer. Walt Disney had a great quote that the best person I hired, I hired for a second time. Which means to me that, that you know, the reality is everyone deserves a second chance. Mm. We have this great mantra mod that we live by that's wide boulevard and high curbs. And, and I'll go a little bit if you give me a minute to go a little bit into that. Please, please. The, the curves are our cultural values, our norms. That's our curves. And so as long as you stay inside the curves, you can make a mistake but never be wrong. We don't have a 500-page rule book here at Mod. The reality of Mod is, and we tell our teams, the entrance to the Mod is simply do the right thing. Mm. simply do the right thing. And you know what that is? 
Everyone knows what the right thing is. And so for us, wide boulevard high curves allows folks to make mistakes, stay inside the curves. Yeah. And- right? Lying, cheating, steal. We all know those are the cultural norms. We, we just don't do that. And if you jump a curve, you're gone. You have to leave. Yeah. And, you know, that's so powerful. Um, and we didn't really talk a lot about it, but going through the extra steps to draw the lines, um, a lot of these things are cultural norms. Uh, lying, cheating, stealing, all that. We know not to do that. Uh, but to take it, you know, to really paint the picture of w- what your values are, what your, how you operate, the, the, the way you conduct yourself, um, and giving clear, painting that, that picture of perfection of what a good employee is and what a good mod, modster is. I don't know if that's something you guys, yeah. says. but, um, I mean, for you, that's probably so no duh because you're a part of great organizations, <laughs> but a lot of smaller restaurants don't take the time to really get clear about where those curves are, where those, you know, the lines are. Um, how important is it to, to be clear about that? Well, listen, I, again, I go back to, um, again, I, I think that the days of a 500 page rule book that we hand to you when you started the organization, yeah. sure, everyone has a handbook they go through and, and those are the things that are, that you have to have, but, but to truly have a 500 page rule book, uh, I think those days are gone. Yeah. Right. Our, our millennials, they're not embracing that. They don't want a 500 page rule book, right? We live in a time of, of Google. I can look things up yeah. in a matter of seconds. So what are they embracing? So what they are embracing is let me be me. Mm. Tell me what you want. Set the expectation, be clear with the expectations and allow me to figure out how to get there. Mm. Help guide me in the path. But clearly, set the expectation. I'll get there, but let me figure out how to get there. Yeah. And right? As long as I don't break any rules, you know, food safety, I do all the things correctly. At the end of the day, I'm going to get there. Simply do the right thing. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I kind of uh, didn't put enough emphasis earlier on what you said uh, with the whole second chance. And um, I mean, <laughs> we kind of skimmed over that and I really want to dive into that. I mean, doing my research, I read or watched this video on this gentleman who uh, was a convict came out of jail and he got a second chance and he went from being a dishwasher to a regional manager. Um, yeah. Talk to us about that, the power of a second chance in that example. Well, you know, I'll tell you, um, having, having been a part of it literally from the very early days, and um, it's amazing to see the power of giving people an opportunity to be great and to believe in them. You know, many of the folks that have come from that background um, truly just need someone to believe in them. Truly just need someone to say to them, listen, you made a mistake in your life, but that doesn't dictate who you are. It doesn't describe you. Right? It may, it may be an example, but it doesn't describe you. You know, I'm a big believer that, you know, yesterday, yesterday was a statement. Tomorrow's a question mark. Yeah. So what are you going to do next? Right. And so many of those folks that come to work for us, quite frankly, who just need a hand up. Mm. And what happens when and you we give them that hand up? Say again? What happens when you extend that hand, when you give them that hand up? What happens there? Oh, uh, I, listen, I, I think it's a, uh, it's a, you know, we're living, we're a living example today um, as an organization that you can do that. You can absolutely do that, right? I mean, the reality is, you know, the, the, the challenge so many of our folks have that come out of that type of background or clean and sober background, they just, they just had a challenge or the foster kids program, which we're involved in as well, right? They just need an opportunity to become a part of a family, feel supported, 
and, and be, and be great. And someone to believe in them. I can't tell you the light bulb that goes on when you say to someone that has that type of background, that's a really good job. I'm proud of you. Mm. For many of them, they haven't heard that in, in years. Yeah. It's, and so it, it's amazing how, how much they did become your culture carriers. Yeah. Right. They become the folks that ultimately today they're speaking on behalf of mod. They're telling the stories on mod. It's not me. They're telling the stories and their stories. And it's not the entire organization. And, and, you know, it is a sect of the group that we hire, but it's also a group perhaps that they went to college and just couldn't find their way and said, I don't know what to do next. I'm kind of lost. I'm kind of lost out here with not really understanding. I went to college. It didn't work out for me. What's next? Man. And they give them an opportunity to come in the mod and grow and grow from being a dishwasher to a regional manager, whether it's coming out of prison or just that second chance if they needed someone to believe in. I'm curious, what's a regional manager making salary? So he's, he's probably in, in, in the 70s range, 79 range. Wow. With bonus and benefits and, um, and still know, room to grow, too. Oh, listen, that's, that's the beauty of growth, right? Yeah. We open stores, which give more people opportunities to be great. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, so before we move on to the speed round, one quick question. What are you going to do as director of operation to make sure that culture, that greatness, that the beauty of what you created doesn't get diluted? Yeah, well, interesting enough. So now I'm, I'm, I'm actually moving over into the international world here in the very short term and building our national growth and what we do internationally. So it's, it's very timely you ask me that because how do you now take that, that culture that lives so strongly here in the U.S. and take it over across the pond, right? And mm-hmm. take it to the U.K. where we're operating five stores a day or several other countries. And again, a big part of that is to ensure that we're strong in our knowledge of who we are. And we never waver from who our, what our culture is and what we want to become and what, what stories we want to tell. I think where that starts to waver is when there's mixed messages and everyone has different sets, different sets of priority and a different definition of success. Our success is never going to be based on having the most stores. It's going to be based on the lives we impact and the communities we serve. Yeah. And one more time, who are you? What is that, that identity you're communicating for us one more time? Oh, mod. You know, that, that, my, listen, we're, 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 who are we? We're a place where anyone can come, regardless of your background or guys where you come from, and have an opportunity to grow and be great. Mm. And what is greatness in Mod's eyes? Greatness in my eyes. I think we all set our own bar, right? Mm. We all set our own bar. I mean, greatness to me, I'll tell you, for me, every day I come to work, I'm, I'm looking to get better. And I surround myself with people that make me better every single day. Better as a person, better as a son, better as a friend, better as a colleague, better as a leader. Chris, yes. I uh, can't think of a better way to go into our quick break to thank our sponsors. Uh, this is awesome. We'll be right back. Yeah, I know. I said we're going to be right back, but that was actually the end of the interview. Um, we thank the sponsors. We go into the speed round, but I figured I'd spare you from the speed round today because when we have Chris back on Thursday, he does a new speed round and you guys can always go back to episode 341. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Uh, this is episode 689. So uh, yeah, um, we'll, we'll have the links if you want to get that speed round, but uh, really great stuff. I, I think you can see why I wanted to bring this, this episode out of the archive. Uh, probably some of the best advice I've had on the show about 
culture and scaling. Uh, you know, I asked him a, a few times, how do you scale that culture? And I think what came out of this episode that, that I never really heard before is using those stories to scale culture, finding your culture carriers, the people who live and breathe and just are the living embodiment of whatever it is your culture is, right? And finding those people and making an example of them, sharing their story. And uh, if you can do that uh, and have these people be your culture carriers and to make an example of them and to inject them into your businesses uh, wherever they are, I think that's just an amazing approach. Uh, And I love the, the emphasis on people. Uh, and I always say this and it might've came from this episode, but people don't go to work for businesses. People go to work for people. So you have to treat people like people. You have to remember that it's about relationships. Really? Everything is about relationships. Business is about relationships and you have to never lose sight of the relationships you have with your people and just cherish those relationships uh, and just awesome stuff. Um, what else can we get from today's episode? Um, I think it's also shows the evolution of restaurant unstoppable. Uh, you know, over the past hundred plus interviews, you guys have listened to these chats in person in the restaurant. And I think that the audio quality is way better. I mean, this, you can tell this, this audio quality wasn't that great and it's improved a lot. So you get to see the evolution of restaurant unstoppable. So I hope you guys are, appreciate that. And uh, again, going to the future, guys, 2020, uh, I want to start going deeper. I want to start making an example of my best interviews, finding out uh, where they are today and just developing and building on those relationships I already have. So who are some of the people you want me to get back on the show? Uh, Email me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Connect with me on Instagram at Eric Catchtory or join our Facebook group. And this is a private Facebook group, Unstoppable Restaurant Owners and Operators. I'll be sure to link to how uh, you guys can you know, get over onto Facebook and, and join the conversation. Let me know there who you want me to get back on the show. And um, yeah, awesome stuff. What else can I remind you of before I say goodbye? Let's see. Oh, we are over 30 episodes on YouTube now. We've been slowly catching up with the archive, releasing all these interviews on video. So if you want to come in the restaurant and hang out with me and my guests, make sure you head over to YouTube, Restaurant Unstoppable, and subscribe. I'll have the link to the show notes in that. Again, this is episode 689. And, uh, you know, yeah, awesome stuff today. I don't think I have to say anything else. Uh, super pumped to be slowing down and going deeper. And it just, again, um, could not be where I am today without all of you guys and your support. And uh, with that said, until next time, peace out.